I'm now in my 30th year working to restore nature in forests and on farms, mostly across the north of England. 30 years ago I left the city and my old job behind. I hung up my suit and tie and went off to plant trees. It's a decision I've never regretted. I'm Pete Leeson. Welcome to Series 2 of Tree Amble Podcast. This is a podcast about people and farming and trees and nature and how we can all do much better. Welcome back to Triamble Podcast. Today's interview is with Chris Hodgson. Now, Chris and I have been working together probably 10, 12 years, something like that. It's, it's no word of a lie that when we first met, we were definitely trying to size each other up. Chris is absolutely into his sheep. I'm not. We have a great conversation about that in this interview. Chris and I are now friends, and, I, and I, I love the fact that we've worked together in a space which I found quite challenging to start with, um, and I think it challenged him as well. But we're definitely now understanding each other's perspectives on life, and um, I think that comes across in this interview. So enjoy Chris Hodgson, the sheep farmer. So the, pur- the purpose of this is... I'm doing, I've been at Trust 30 years this year. It's my 30th year. I know, amazing, isn't it? And you must have been a boy when you started. Because oh. yeah. <laughs> you've still got all your hair and it's, it's really any grey or not. not. Okay. I've just got the greys The idea was to kind of, I've met so many people over the, over the years. And in that time, there's all sorts of conservation stuff happening, which you, you probably won't, won't be aware of. But in that time, We've, we're still losing wildlife, massively. Um, we haven't sorted out pollution. We haven't sorted out food, um, diets, um, policy in industry, government policy. You know, we've, we've, we've come a long way and we've come nowhere, in, in my view. And I'm just interested in having conversations with people and finding out how they feel about what they've been doing, um, uh, where they're at, um, how they view the future, just to see where I think the middle ground is probably where a lot of people are, and uh, I just want to get conversations where I, where we can create a program. The idea will be ten episodes, September time, and it's not trying to be. I'm in fact quite the reverse. I'm not trying to be provoking and and journalistic about it. It's actually just trying to get down to some sensible people who've done stuff and see what they, see how they feel about it. And when we first met you, you probably weren't that keen on the tree planting. Oh, no, no. I, I'm a traditionalist. I'm more and more and more. I was brought up with that, you know, because yeah. it was headage payments and exactly. stuff. So you had to have lots and lots of sheep. So, yeah, no bang. But, that, so that's where you thought. And it's, look, it was quite nice meeting you. And the first time I met you and Simon, and I think Simon Webb as well, Simon Stainer. Yeah. I thought you were all a bit pale looking and... Vegetarian types, and I thought, oh god, I'll never have anything in common with these guys. But yeah. I look upon you as friends now, 
and which is unusual and it's only been what nine years something like that something like that yeah, yeah. so I think that's <clears throat> for me that's interesting is, is, it, is actually that, that there's so much um, polarity in the farming industry between those who are absolutely at one end and they, and they think the vegans are utterly weird and, 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 and really on a different planet and and in some cases, we're never going to get agree, are we? But in other cases, it's, it's actually just a question of coming together and trying to find solutions hmm. for things, isn't it? I think we're all sort of fired from the same book, if you know what I mean, because you came along with this great plan of planting trees, whatever, and I don't think it's all about trees, because, as you said, it was all the, the ground, the fells, were all this, this bog grass, or whatever you call it, or yeah. matted grass, matted grass yeah, yeah. yeah. So nothing was surviving. And I've actually seen in the last nine years on a bit of ground we have called Buxton's where the, the sward length's got longer and more cover and things. There's more insects. As a result of that, there's more birds. And as a result of being more birds, there's more birds, birds of prey as well. Yeah. So the peregrines are back this year and it's the first time they've been back in 20 years, which is nice to see. So what we've done is change the grazing set, yeah. the grazing there from sheep only yeah. to cattle only. Yeah. With a few sheep getting in. <laughs> well, <laughs> there's always a wall Yeah. But, but, you, but you can see the difference. Yeah. You can honestly see the difference. And, and, and you know, in the same, same thing, you know, I, I started this journey a long time ago thinking trees were everything. And now I've come to the realisation that actually animals in the landscape are a key part of it. Hmm. Everything has to work half and half, hasn't it? It has to. So financially, economically, socially, all those kind of things. But also in terms of the ecology is driven by cattle grazing particularly. Yeah. Where we've had a problem, I think, is, is too many sheep. Mm. And that whole heritage payment period was probably disastrous. Mm. It, it would be, and it'll probably take generations for it to sort of come back to as it used to be, maybe. Yeah. Because Fairfield was called Fairfield, wasn't it? So there must have been lots of grass up there. Well, if you go there now, it's like walking on the moon, isn't it? Yeah. So, it's bald. Yeah, yeah, there's nothing there. It's like my head. Sheep. So, do you recognise individual sheep? Um, it's a terrible thing to say. Yeah, I do. Uh, Surely, because I was brought up from about three, trailing around my father's knees and whatever, and I got an infection when I was about three, and I was in hospital for two or three weeks. And as a result of that, I was laid up, but didn't go to preschool or anything or infant school. So when the men used to go gathering, there was one big strong fellow called Donald Hodgson, he's no relation, and he worked here, and I used to cry and say, and he used to carry me around the fell when I was three. So that's how I got going. But ever since I've been that high, I've been able to recognise certain sheep. And I would go to my father and say, that's number 162 or something like that. And he said, and you go and look, and he said, oh, it is, yeah, yeah. And that's its daughter over there. And it's something that I've kept on going all my life. I can recognise most, not all the sheep, but it's when they do something to you that you recognise them. Yeah. You know, so if you, have to, if you have to catch one to lamb it, or one's been stuck in a fence, and you, or one's got a funny horn, you know, or one goes on a certain part of the fell. So that was, what I loved doing was gathering the sheep. So I was on the I was the top man, which is like the privilege that you have the best dogs. You're probably the fittest and whatever. Yeah. You're the main man. Dogs both basically. <laughs> so, so, so 
when you're gathering and you're going around sort of Hart Crag or Greenow End and all these iconic sort of yeah. crags and things in the Lake District and you see the sheep come on and you go, oh, I recognise that. That's 116. Yeah, yeah, or whatever. <laughs> so when it comes down and you clip it, yeah. you take another look and you think, oh, that's its land there. Yeah. And then you'll go back in three years' time and you'll be on the same bit of ground and then guess what? It's land's there. Right. The, the ewe might have gone, it might have got to past its sell by date, but the land then you sort of, that's, that's, that's what I love about being a hill farmer. So is that how the, how the flock then builds up its own memory of the fell then, is, is mother yeah. to daughter, mother yeah, to daughter? Yeah, definitely where they brought up, yeah. yeah. And it's, we, we sometimes, because there's, there's some big crags over the other side, we get sheep we never see for like two years. Yeah. And they come out and you think, oh, you take about five minutes and you think, oh, that's such and such. And you go on and you go, oh yeah, it is it's such and such, yeah, so... So is this why when we, I mean, so, so the scheme that you're in, the environmental yeah. scheme, obviously you reduced your sheep numbers a, a wee bit mm. um, and introduced the cattle to the cattle grazing only areas. And the idea behind that was to create scrub and wood pasture. Mm. You've got loads of big old trees. Mm. We'll come back to that in a minute. But is that why then some of those areas that we fenced off, the sheep are constantly going back into them? It, that, I think that was the main problem the first few years because they'd been hefted there yeah. they would knock the wall down or whatever it's one of the problems I think it's getting better slowly but we do have herdwicks on either side of us and, and they're just wanderlust sheep yeah. they will if they can find a hole they will find a hole and it doesn't help when you've got people going up and leaving gates <laughs> open just for or not believe it or not taking them off the hangings and throwing them down on the ground things like that yeah. so that's one of the main problems but this idea that sheep know where they want to be... Oh, yeah, definitely. They, they will go back to that spot. Yeah. So we can clip our sheep and say there's 300 sheep clipped yeah. in the lambs and whatever, and we'll put them on the track back to the fell, yeah. and 90% of those sheep will just go themselves right the way up to where they've been brought up. Right. There's always that other percentage that are buggers that like to eat trees. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is one reason I don't like sheep, is because they eat the trees. Yeah. Um, and the wildflowers and everything else that goes with them. They are, they are lawnmowers, basically, aren't they? So, in terms of that, then, I mean, one of the things that we obviously that happen, happens in, in, in the farm system is, that, is the, your, your management of the ground. Sheep like short grass, don't they? Mm -hmm. The cattle will deal with longer grass. Yep. Um, and in fact, poorer grass as well. So, when we're changing these schemes to um, reduce sheep numbers, how's, has that changed how you manage the ground? Uh. It, a little bit, but when you've got sheep at the high fell, you can't really change how you manage it because okay. they just go up there. But uh, we, we do tend to find that the sheep aren't growing quite as big because they're at a higher altitude, as it were, uh, but they seem, they seem healthy enough and everything. It seems we don't have quite as many lambs as we used to have, which is because the, the fairfields are 3,000 feet, mm. isn't it? so mm. you, you don't want loads of lambs anyway. Um, but... The cows, I'm amazed that they'll be in different parts of the Buxtons or the park at certain times of day and whatever. They seem to go mm. to certain parts and graze that. It'd be interesting if you ever got, you know, these cow collar things that are yeah. coming in now, you, GPS and you could sort no fence technology. Yeah, and just yeah. see where they actually do we, go. We, we have done some of that at Kingsdale, and, yeah. and I'll be talking to Tim and, and Catherine shortly about that. But the the... The interesting thing with those with those collars is actually they've done they use the um, the collars to really show where the animals want to be of their own 
course. Yeah. And, and it's really interesting to map where, they, where they've been on fell. Yeah. And they've got a big section of fell. I've got 600 hectares. No, it's not as big as yours, mind yeah. you. But uh, 600 hectares in total. And actually, the, the animals have been, they show that they, they will herd and they'll move around and they'll feed. And you can see where the hot spots are, where they are. And you can see where they're not going. Mm. They're not going up to peat box, they're yeah. not going to the wet ground. And they're finding those grasses. And it's fascinating to see where they want to yeah. be. And I was just thinking, because we lost these cows with acorn poisoning, we could have maybe, if we had these collars to stop them going down there, we could have kept them higher on the fell so they wouldn't have actually been poisoned or whatever. So there's, there's other things to look at as well, if you know what I mean. So, you're, you, I mean, the lower park here is a historic oh. park. It's a lovely old hall. And, it, and then the park is full of big old trees. Yeah, and it's heartbreaking when one comes down. So Storm Arwen, this is when I knew you changed. The Storm Arwen came through, what did you knock down? It knocked about 60 to 70 of the oh. trees that I climbed as a kid. Yeah. Conquer trees, uh, which are horse chestnut trees, oaks, you name it. All the iconic trees that I've known all my life were suddenly all down. So... In my majesty, I rang up uh, Ralph's, ordered 100, or was it 200 posts and wire to plant trees. And I, I have a neighbour of mine that grows oak trees from, from the acorns. And then we got a load of volunteers, which I would never thought I'd ever do. And they all came, we spent a day planting trees. I knew you'd turn the corner. <laughs> <laughs> You didn't plant many to start with, did you? But, uh, but with, our, with our contracts, we can plant trees. But when, when I saw that you'd been out and heard that you'd been out planting trees, I just thought, right, Chris is, Chris is turned a corner. But it was so sad to see all these big trees. Oh, there. it was heartbreaking. And it really was. You'll only have big trees if you plant small yeah. ones. And I've noticed on the high park, you know, where the cows and stuff go, once one of these big iconic trees goes down, you've got like two acres of ground that's yeah. bare. Yeah. So then. In the past, we've not planted trees, so there's, there's, a, there's a void of trees coming through, isn't there? And we need to sort of, which, the likes of you and other people, sort of enlighten you, don't they, to these facts? So, well, I hope so. Yeah. Well, we, but <laughs> yeah. we were sort of brought up to try to produce more and more sheep, you know, you see, so trees, but yeah, so. Mm. And the trees, I mean, what, what you don't realise in that kind of system is year on year on year of degradation by sheep grazing where, where none of the oaks are getting through, none of, the, none of the young trees are getting through at all, they're all being eaten off, even if they're coming in as seed. Mm. What that happens is that over a short period, you don't realise what happens to the landscape, but when you look at the landscape after 30, 40 years of that, mm. you realise there are no youngsters, and the fells up here have got no trees on them. Yeah. So, so given that trees have some beneficial sides, Obviously, the, ac the acorns, you're having, you're having a problem with acorns, but it was last year, last year. But trees, I mean, they've got the leaf litter, they've got the browse right. value, they've got shelter value. Um, the, the grass grows differently around the tree as well. Oh, it? it's brilliant. I was coming down there the other day, and it's middle of winter, it's cold and wet and whatever, and the tree, these, these iconic trees, and they've got boughs that have been blown half off and sort of, they're like sort of... Um, <coughs> Have you ever seen Max, uh, Michael Jackson sort of videos? Is it Thriller or something where there's like zombies and stuff? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the tree just remind me of zombies because they've got all these limbs that have fallen down and whatever. But and then lots of other trees have regenerated up through the trees. The the limbs that have come off and the you know and the, 
the, the part of the tree now is the bits that have fallen off and grown again. It's the, the, the special trees, they really are special trees. And once they're gone, they're gone. Yeah, and they're never replaced, yeah. are they? So, a bit like me and you. Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> we're dinosaurs or... Definitely dinosaurs. Yeah. But so, so the, the scheme here, I mean, we've, we've worked with you to change the grazing patterns and then bring in some fenced areas with uh, trees and sacred tubes. And the idea being that we are recovering some of those areas mm. of scrub, uh, so that's, that's the lower growing stuff, but also some of these big, big individual trees. Mm. So the park, I mean, I can't remember how many, was it 770, no, 414 trees and cages we put in. Mm. So trees and wooden cages. And then you yeah, can... Uh, three, six, no, it could have been four. You could be right, yeah. Well, it's yeah. Just, it's up there somewhere anyway. Yeah. Um, They've done well, haven't they? There's a few that haven't. Well. There's some yeah. that haven't grown, but... I think if you plant trees in really thick bracken, bracken must have a, a means of survival or something, because the bracken seems to take over, doesn't it? It grows to about seven foot high, and nothing comes through for a bit. Yeah, but then I, it's also a sign of where the deeper soils are, so yeah. I tend to head for bracken beds, but then protect the individual trees. So um, things like hawthorn and oak do well in bracken beds, actually. But, um, but so we, we, we've done what, and some of that's what, is that nine years old now? Mm. Nine, so yeah. this, this scheme that we've been in, it's, it's a 10-year scheme, mm. isn't it? So we've got to think about what next. Um, you know, I'm just the journey you've done in that period. You're, you're grazing your cattle there. They're really healthy, you're happy with them. Mm. Less sheep. Yeah. I think if I think even less sheep probably would be the best way of going. Uh, uh, I hate to say that as well. <laughs> well, for a sheep man, yeah. that's a sheep. Yeah, yeah. So... Uh, but in terms of the in terms of the farm and where the farm's going in the future, uh, its economic viability and your your own labour. Yeah, I think because labour is so expensive, I think we have to sort of manage the farm so we cut numbers down to what I can manage with sort of one other person, if you know what I mean. And as as it is now, we probably can't do that, and we're not making any money out of livestock sales. Well, not a huge amount of money anyway, if if any. So. What's the, the? I'm looking for for the succession as well, so someone else to continue as well. So, I think we have to cut down and sort of um, go back to things 30, 40 years ago, which is probably not the best way to be. I don't know because you sport, you shouldn't stand still, should you? My father used to always say, "Never stand still." So. But what is standing still? Because I I, I, yeah. I met plenty of young <laughs> farmers who want more animals than their father. Yeah. Because that's the way forward. Um, and then they have to buy a bigger machine, they have to buy more feed and fur to do that. So they borrow money or whatever it is to get there. And then they're on the treadmill. So what, what is the best system? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. It's like, uh, it's, it's, who knows, isn't it, really? You have your opinion, I have my opinion. Um, I think we need farmers, but of course... Farming is part of the community, it's part of the Lake District, so we've got to have farmers. Whether we have farmers with loads of sheep or just a few sheep and trees and whatever and diversification, that's to me is probably the way forward. Going back to headish payments and where there's lots of sheep on the ground is because we've got we're something we can't really sell. So especially when the government have done agreements with New Zealand and Australia. They're going to send their stuff, aren't they? And we can't produce it with the welfare that we've put in place to compete. So, so you, 
mean, there's lots of talk about natural capital and, and carbon and things like that. Have you done a carbon audit for the farm? No, it's quite interesting to do, isn't it? Because mm. we're regenerating peat from the top of Buxton, isn't it? Might take two million years, but... <laughs> it's a slow process, but, but reversing the decline in peat's a good start. Yeah, so... Yeah. So a carbon audit, audit might be a way forward, and we're talking about more and more um, private finance coming into farmers, but I, I don't know, I, how, do you... But I don't really agree with that. How can you have a company that just offsets all its carbon issues by saying they've got farms and this, that and the other? Shouldn't they be cutting their own carbon things now? Or am I just an idiot? Come on, I, say something, Leeson. <laughs> I'm, I'm busy smiling here, because I think that's part, that's a genuine part of the debate, isn't it? You know, you... You could farm here probably in, in a probably zero carbon because you can plant lots of trees. I think we are. You've, yeah, got, yeah, yeah. you've got lots of, uh, lots of ground. Your animals are now primarily feeding from grass, which is grown naturally. Mm. It's got sunshine and water, those yeah. are the additives. Mm. We have no fertiliser now. No fertiliser no. at all? No. So your impact on the environment is, you know, as a stock farm, is pretty limited, isn't mm. it? So... Yeah, so, so is it fair for you to sell those rights that whatever you're doing to a company that's continuing to fly and drive diesel out with diesel mm. engines all over the place? Precisely. I think it's a, really, it's a really difficult ask. And I would, personally, I wish those companies would just stop using diesel and flying and find different ways of doing things. Mm. Because at the end of the day, once, once the CO2 is in the atmosphere, it's added to blame on climate change. And the climate here has changed radically in the last 30, 40 years, hasn't it? No, definitely, yeah. But... But still, all people have to go for two holidays a year abroad and what they, don't they? All that flying. When was the last time you flew? Oh, about four years ago. So, so you, you've had holidays? I've actually been away, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but not very often? Only when I got married we started going on holiday. <laughs> the wife makes me was go that, on holiday. Was that part of the contract? Yeah, it was, I think. So We do like Italy. So. Italy. Mm. Well, it is beautiful. Mm. Yeah, but but in terms of your the farm and how how you're managing the farm, it's it's pretty low input. Yeah, I always term it in a Lake District farm never changes much from century to century. You still have to do the same thing. You still have to go around the fell on foot. Motorbikes will not go on our fell. Yeah. Um. So it's a one man, a stick, and a dog basically, and it, it'll never change unless the sheep are gone. So it'll always be that way. But what we have done is increase the sheep numbers by bringing in fur and feed. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. So that so so there's an there's an edge there where we mm. can produce fur and feed to a point which is on your farm is now yeah. zero. Yeah, and one of the problems with when you go into these schemes is that the a lot of these farms have been paid to send the sheep away for winter, mm. and as a result of that, they're having lots more lambs, aren't they? So that's creating more of a problem. If you have more lambs, you need more land and more feed. So, that's how so they're having more lambs because the, the feed is better and lower down? Yeah, the well, yeah, they're going to better grass, better quality grass, and having lots, lots more lambs. So it's, I blame you, really, Pete Leeson. <laughs> and you'll know, because a lot of these farms do have off-wintering schemes, don't they? So they're paid to take the sheep yeah. off the fell. Yeah. Because the vegetation on the fell... It, it's it's most uh, the most important time to leave it alone is in the winter when it's got no ability to regrow to, to recover. So taking sheep off the fells means you then you haven't got the carrying capacity on the, on the farm. So you take those sheep from the farm somewhere else. Mm. It could be Morecambe for you, couldn't it? Somewhere down, yeah. somewhere lower down. Yeah, somewhere. They're fed on better grass. Yeah, come back nice and fit and lots of lambs. Lots of, and, mm. and then you've got to deal with the lamb issue. Mm. And it is a 
because you don't, we're not geared up in the hills to have twins or triplets or whatever. So realistically, my, my, when I was growing up, my father said he used to want one sheep, one lamb. You don't, so, but you can never have that. You always have some amount of twins. But some of these sheep that will go away will be scanning at like 180, 200% lambing. Right. So, so the life of a herder was something like nine years for a herder, isn't it? Yeah, and the rest of it. Okay. <laughs> On average, about nine years? Yeah, I would think so, yeah. And they're mature for breeding about three. Mm-hmm. And then you've got, what, three, four years good on the farm? Yeah. A good herd of it will have three or four crops of lamb for you. And then they'll get sold, and then someone else will probably take another two or three crops before they they sell by the she'll be down on the bottom of, she'll be down the bottom by the end. So but by the yeah. time she's sort of seven or eight yeah. years old, she'll still be lambing, yeah. but she'll be somewhere and else. And she'll have gone yeah, to West Cumbria or somewhere like that, yeah. So at a replacement weight rate of one lamb per ewe, you've got you've got basically three or four, well, maybe four or five years of lambing at one per ewe. That's yeah. not it's not a great no. It's not a great way of making food, is it? No. But it's delicious food. And this is where we should be getting paid a premium. Now you being a little bit veggie, I know you, you've probably tried it in the past, but if you eat herdwick mutton. You wouldn't ever eat anything else. And if the wider public got to know Herdwick mutton and things like that, uh, it'd sort of be a delicacy. It'd be sort of like, I don't know, uh, what, be like some sort of caviar or, I don't know, uh, oysters from certain parts of bays or whatever. It's, you know, it's one of those things. And it, so it, Fairfield oysters? Yeah, something like that. It should be, like, it should be late district mutton yeah. so nobody else can jump on the bandwagon. And it should be sold, well, to all the fanciest hotels and restaurants around, if you ask me, and, so, and around here as well. So do you not think, I mean, I agree with you, that, that if it's a specialist product and, it, and it's got all the welfare and environmental mm. standards around it, but do you not think then people will start to in, increase the numbers of the lambs again? And, I mean, this is, the, this is the problem, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose if something does well, yes, but I, I don't think we market it well enough, though, yeah. do we? Because it does, Herbic mutton, it's, it's like two years old before you can actually eat it. So it takes two years to produce, which is a long time, isn't it? Yeah. So you need, you need a good price for it anyway. But people have no idea what Herbic mutton is. They think it's all tough meat, don't they? But oh, you put it in an agar, slow cook it, oh, it's like to die for, I tell you. <laughs> no, you, better than your Christmas turkey or anything like that. Oh, my, yeah. Christ, my Christmas not like Yeah, that, precisely. <laughs> I think I could actually churn you, Pete Lee, so I tell you. I'm going to try very hard. <laughs> um, we talked a little bit earlier about volunteers coming planting trees for you. Um, it, you quite enjoy having volunteers here. Oh, it's breath of fresh air. Yeah. They're just as interested in the Lake District as I am, in, probably more so, really, because they've come for their final years and whatever, a lot of them. It's, you know, it's, most of them are sort of retired or, you know, that sort of thing. And they're just great people, you know. And they're willing just to muck in and get dirty. And Ken and Rosie just seem to do lots and lots and lots. So the, you've had them on here tree planting, but you've also had, there's a bit of a Himalayan balsam issue yeah. in the rivers. Yeah, and we've had balsam for the last three or four years. So oh. my job is to organise my wife to go and buy five or six past uh, pies, you know, Herdwick pies or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So all the balsam bashers go out during the day and I sort of put the kettle on and make a cup of tea. I actually go with them as well. But when they all come back here and we have a bit of pie and mash and 
a cup of tea. It's good fun. And it's good fun. Yeah. And they're yeah. nice people. Oh, lovely people, yeah. A bit like yourself. They're educated. That's the thing about it. See, I'm only educated to see people. So I'm just like a local Compton, whatever, not too bright. I can recognise sheep and that's it. So it's nice to talk to different people, isn't it? It is, and I think I think if we're going to get anywhere in this whole debate, is we've got to get people back onto farms. So I think one of the questions we have is how do we get people, in a respectful, sensible way, communicating with farm farmers mm. and farm managers and things like that? Because I think it's really critical, and I think the volunteering is fantastic. Oh, they're great, great people. I, I I enjoy the days. They go quick. Yeah, <laughs> and that's that's great. So, you know, and and. Do you, do you use that as an opportunity to talk about your farm systems at all with these? Oh, yeah, yeah, well, I talk yeah. all the time, yeah. yeah. It's, it's very interesting. They ask some nice questions as well. And they're really interested in what you do or what you're trying to do. And they're, yeah, it's good. And they're giving a bit back to the community because most of the people that come up don't give anything back to the community, I don't think, so... Well, I, I have this idea in, in, in turning up here that we have land takers and land givers. Mm. And the land givers are a tiny minority, yeah. aren't they? There's lots of land takers up here. Um, and You're not by any chance left wing by any chance, are you? I don't know if I am or not. No. I'm actually, I think I'm unique. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I think there's, a, there's a whole political backdrop to this, which is good governance. And good governance should allow people to make money, uh, have better people should have good livings, they should be able to provide for themselves and their children and everything else like that, at the same time as there's a safety net for, for those that can't yeah. or, or whatever. And that includes the environment. I mean, the, the biggest loss in, in, my, in my life has been the environment. And every time, it's the last thing on the agenda. Yeah. If there's cuts, it, the cuts happen in the environment. Um, if a road scheme goes through, it's all about economics and yeah. people. And, it's, and, and, and the last thing is the, is the environment. Look at rivers. I mean, farming pollution in rivers is, is hideous in Cumbria. And it's the last thing on the agenda. So, why? Because we live in this place. We've got to look after it. Otherwise, your children, I don't have children for a very good reason, <laughs> but your children, your children's children, are not going to have much yeah. to live on, are they? Well, I won't let them go swimming in the river for that way. You won't, they won't no. right. Well, they used to when they were kids, and I used to as well, but not that the river rolling now is terrible. Because? Uh, it's just full of it's phosphorus, phosphates, is it, and things like that, the green algae and whatever. And is that farm? They'll tell you sort of percentage it's farming, and I presume if you go back 30 or 40 years, farming would be one of the main ones, perhaps, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but there's lots, there's less and less farmers now. In your bit. Yeah, in the, I'm going about Central Lake District now, so we there's no intensive cattle, and there's no like dairy farms or anything like that. So there's no slurry much or anything. So when the environmental agency says it's the farms giving them thirty or fifty percent of the phosphate pollution, I have to disagree with that. I think it's probably more to do with the amount of people coming up and. I shouldn't say peeing and uh, pooing, is it? Uh, yeah, oh, not just the river, but the United Utilities maybe aren't doing quite what they should be. So it's sewage works, yeah. sewage hotels. Yeah. And you can tell this, like, this summer was hot and dry. Grassmere Lake, Rider Lake, Windermere Lake had plumes of algae, and it just, it just doesn't look nice to go and swimming. And you see people swimming, and what, you think, no, I wouldn't go swimming in there. Um, so that's the bottom of the valley, but I, I mean the top of the hill where you're where you're farming. Um, 
I mean, presumably we've actually we can actually turn around some of those things, can't we? Because you've got a direct, you've got a whole catchment. Haven't yeah, you? well, yeah, there's, and there's absolutely no pollution at all up there. So, no. as I said before, there's dippers. We we even actually saw an otter up there one day, which is must have been lost. <laughs> so. But you know, I, I, again, I think this is where where we need to have a much more collective approach to to land management is actually looking at our catchments as whole as whole things, looking at all of the inputs across the board. Farming is definitely an area which I think is troubling uh, in in lots of Cumbria. I, I see lots of pollution, and it's it's usually from intense farming, whatever it is. Okay, so, but, but there are places like this where we can actually really quite positively impact. Yeah, I, I think so as well. If you look at T-Bay or Malastang, where we've done big schemes, very similar to Hoggies, but without the cattle grazing inside yeah. them. Um, the vegetation return there has been amazing. And because we're monitoring it for the ecology on an annual basis, we now know, for example, at T-Bay, that over the 10 years of that scheme, we've gone from four breeding bird species on site to 13. Is that the bit where you've planted right up on the right-hand side of motorway? Yeah. Yeah. So we've gone, we, we, we've increased from four breeding bird species to 13 yeah. breeding bird species. That's you don't know, yeah. So then that's that low scrubby stuff, Ooh. the same stuff you've been planting up, yeah. your, up your felt. And it's, it's brought in birds which, which are... <laughs> And in some cases relatively common, other cases less common. Have your trees taken hold of there? Is, yeah. that what, is that what you think is that brings the birds, the trees? There's all sorts of things. Hoggy mentioned the vegetation earlier, that taller vegetation, um, more insects in that. Um, lots of butterflies, moths will lay their eggs in, in grasses, yeah. for example. Yeah, I've noticed that there's moths and dragonflies as well in you know, those really hot times, way, way up the valley. Yeah. Yeah, and the, nice to always see the dipper in the river as well, which is good. So, May and June, I think, is the best yeah. time to go up Fairfield, up that bottom, mm -hmm. isn't it? That's mm -hmm. when you realise. But there's more, I was up in September when, uh, when I was sort of having one of those minutes where you sort of, you would smoke a cigarette if you smoked, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I was sat on my little rock looking out and I, I was just sort of absorbed by watching the, the noise around me. And all I could hear was like, bzzz, yeah. flies. And, and you looked in there and there's lots of different uh, flowers and whatever. I wish I knew what they were. And you just thought it's quite tranquil here. It's a sort of nice sort of place. And you, it's, that's, that's the difference, isn't it? Because sheep yeah. take everything, don't they? So, I'm not an anti-sheep man because I think some of the policies now, this World Heritage Sheep thing that you mentioned just before was part of the farming was one of the big reasons why we got a World Heritage Site. Yeah. Yeah. And the way things are going, I think the National Trust are only giving five and ten-year tenancies. Well, how can anyone invest any amount of money when you're only guaranteed you're going to be on a farm for five years and they're cutting the sheep numbers way way down which I think need to be cut but maybe not quite as far as they have been so I don't know what your opinion on that is Mr Leeson sir well I think sheep numbers have been too high mm -hmm. in the past and the, and the problem, we, problem we've all got and I think both sides of the divide if there is a divide mm -hmm. is that we don't know what the right answer is We've got those long-term numbers that have been done by various people, which suggest that something in, in Cumbria was around about a million sheep across the board between 1850 and 1950. And then in the headage years, we got up to about 2.66 million. So nearly treble the numbers. Yeah. So yeah. this is the point with headage. Headage was a disaster. So coming back from that, where, where do we now settle that balance? Is it a million sheep? Is it 1.5? Obviously, we do things differently. 
Mm. And you'll do things differently. I'd, I'd like to know what, what your farm system is actually. But if you're feeding animals, if you're bringing fertilizer and feed from somewhere else, um, then you can hold more numbers, can't you? Yeah. Now, for me as a vegetarian, but interested in good land management, which includes animals, I would argue that maybe you need to have less fur and less feed, but manage those animals on carrying capacity. Now that might be the million yeah. sheep. Yeah. Mm. And I'd be delighted if we could go back to carrying capacity. So farm, farmed itself, and it delivered animals yeah. and grain, or whatever yeah. it is off that farm, at carrying capacity, yeah. using natural ingredients. And then I think we could generally say that's sustainable farming. But could we sell it though, Pete? The problem is now, supermarkets have so much power, don't they? So we're producing an animal here, which I call probably the best in the world. Lamb the and animal. mutton is grass-fed, isn't it? Yep. But there's no abattoirs left, hardly. So they have to travel halfway down the country, then travel back if we're going to eat it. Then this myth that people will buy locally, well, they can't get it locally because it's not there. Yeah. We, the, the supermarket's got far too much power. So at the moment, we're selling our lambs for bugger all, and the supermarkets have got New Zealand lambing. Now, what's the bloody point of that? Mm. Surely we should be able to sell our lambs to our supermarkets in our area or whatever. Uh, so just... a, lamb, a lamb on your farm, if it, when, when you're taking it to market, yeah. where, where's it going to, to, to be slaughtered? Down south. There's, there's, I think there's about four or five major abattoirs in the country, most of them are... Down south. Yeah. Ketch, so the animal's gone from, from, from Ambleside, yeah. all the way down south, yeah. back to Ambleside to be sold in your local Cat shop. Could be, yeah. yeah. For you to yeah. buy and for your yeah. Yeah. roast. But if you're local yeah. butcher... Um, that, that they'll use Denny's and Aries around here. So that, that's still like a, from here, isn't it? Your lamb's trailer to Judge 36 at Cockermouth to come all the way back to these. So like, there could be like a 50 mile thing on a lamb, you know. So that's the minimum. Yeah, but, but they more likely, it's more likely that they go. Your, your mass numbers are definitely going down south. Big time to be killed, aren't they? Yeah. We're not selling our locally produced lamb round here. Whether the National Park or the National Trust want to get off their asses and do something about it instead of saying everything's hunky-dory when it's not because the farmers are struggling. We're losing our single-farm payment at the moment and, you know, we can't, afford, we can't pay our mortgages and things like that. So it's, it's hard at the moment and something needs to be done. So... So can we can we just go back over your your farm system? So so we're we're in an upland situation mm. here. You, you're surrounded by mountains. It's it's probably fells 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 fells. Sorry, <laughs> from the Norwegian presumably yeah. fjell. Yes. Mm. Um, well, we are Vikings, we are aren't we? Yeah. Well, you look like a Viking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so well, I'm quite pleased you said that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I might look like a Viking. Just need a helmet. Yeah. <laughs> we're surrounded by fells. Yep. It's probably one of the most iconic spots in the Lake District in many respects, isn't it? You've got mm. Fairfield in the background, you've got this fantastic Ryder Valley, um, got Luffering out here. It's quite a wooded, actually, for the central fells, it's quite a wooded landscape around yep. the farm. And we seem to have quite a lot of bird life anyway. You, know, you say that T-bird has not been, but there's lots of birds always, and there's migratory birds coming all the time as well, so... And so you, you run a farm which has got fell land, it's got, it's got good land in the bottom of yeah. the road. Um, and when we met you, you were predominantly sheep yeah. with a few cows. And now you've, you've moved away, less, from sh less, less sheep, more cattle. And that cattle, those cattle are managing your upland fell for you in some degree. Yeah, and for eight years they've been done really well. 
But this year we had a bit of problems. There was because of it's been such a good year, and there's lots of oak trees on through the park, Rydland Park. We had an abundance of acorns, so we've actually lost three cows and a calf this back end with acorn poisoning, right. which you can't believe, can you? But that's one of the drawbacks. Okay. So, but it's not a major drawback, is it? So, the cows do well there; they like it. And on when we turn them out the first week in May, they just run, right? So they like being up. Yeah, they like being there. Yeah. So I've just been listening to to a book on the way over here. Being a good a good middle class boy, I've been listening to Radio Four, and there's a book on there this this week called The Meat Paradox. Yep. You'd love it. It's it's <laughs> it's very interesting, um, and it talks about animal welfare a lot, and how on farm how how do we how do we work with animals in the best way for them mm. and for us, and I've seen your cattle and they do they just they seem to love that pasture. Oh yeah. So it's tall grasses, it's, it, it's fresh air, <laughs> um, it's well, not buildings, you know, it's not you, feed, it's, it's natural. Yeah, well you can't believe they want to go there, because you know, May is like still the middle of winter in the Lake District really, and they just seem to, they know where they're going. And they can almost guarantee the first week they'll stay in the same place, just, which is right at the highest, highest point of the, the, the grazed bit of the, by the river, and they'll be there for the first week, and then they'll move on, and whatever. It's, it's, it's unbelievable, honestly, it is. Uh, do you so, think, I mean, how old are those animals when they're going up there? So, they go, because we're self-contained herd, we only keep our own heifers and stuff, so they've, they've been bred up there all the time. So they're used to the, any ticks, mm -hmm. any bracken, so they don't, we don't have any problem with bracken poisoning, really, because they're used to them. Um, so, I think if you introduce cattle from different herds and whatever, it'd probably be a few years, it'd be a few deaths and whatever, but we're, we're trying to cross now, we're going a bit hairy, which you like, mm. so we've got a horrible thing called a short on, but they seem to be doing quite well, and they seem to, they, they're in one with the land as well, because we've got seven now, and they're, they're still up on the fell now. Even the winter? Yeah. So are you finding then that the the herding instinct of those animals, that they're, they're behaving much more naturally. You've got the older animals leading the young Oh, yeah, animals, yeah, definitely, yeah. And they're teaching them where to go and where to find the grass. Presumably so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they'll, they'll stick in the, the, the bottom of the valley for the first month or two, and then when the grass gets maybe not quite as sweet or whatever, they go higher and higher. So You've never had cows above the wall in a long time, have you? No, they're up there this time, aren't they? Right up, right out of the skyline. So, you, so seasonally, they're probably following how the grasses move with yeah, the seasons. Yeah, definitely. So, those, so the warmer bottom is where they go first. And then as the spring comes and the grasses get sweeter, with mm. more sugars and things in the grasses, they're moving up the fell yeah. and making advantage of those. Yeah. And when the grass, you can always, there's a little bit of difference. They go a bit gutty, as I call it, a bit like myself. <laughs> you know, when it gets to October, November time, yeah. Because the grass is, is because it's a, it's fell grass. It's there's not a huge amount of goodness in it, is there? Yeah. So they sort of go higher and higher then to sort of fill up. But we 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 sell the calves when they're eighteen months, but they're just grass reared and they do really well. They seem to do quite well for people as well who buy them. So, so so that's I mean in terms of this this d debate about diets, yeah, the idea of grass fed animal is it's got all the nutrients from the, from natural grasses. Mm. So it's, it's nutrient-heavy, it's good get-dense yeah. food, compared with feedlot. Oh, um, yes. 
which are fed on grain. Mm. Which I don't agree with, sir. No. So, I'm a bit like yourself there. You've sort of polluted me, I think, completely, <laughs> so don't you? I hate to agree with you sometimes, but nicer to disagree. Well, disagree is, 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 is a good argument, isn't it? But actually, <laughs> I think this is where I've come to the, in, the, in this debate, is actually that, that managing land with animals, as opposed to managing land for animals, we get a better outcome for everybody. Hmm. Yeah, I think, I think you, the older you get, you want to sort of leave something as well, don't you? So what you're doing is the right thing, in my opinion. So, so you're selling those animals out, the youngsters about 18 months. Hmm. And, where are the sheep in your system now? Because you still have sheep in your system. Yeah, they're gone the really high feathers. We didn't realise at the time it would be a problem. It's, it's five miles off, well, five to six miles from the stead to the, the, the fell. So they take some gathering and it's a long walk down, especially on a hot day. So. Which is why your knees are knackered. Yeah, presumably <laughs> so, yeah. That could be hereditary as well. So you just had your second knee done? Yeah. Yeah. It's doing okay as well. It's just the bend's not quite there like the first one. The first one was a huge success. So getting your wellies on is harder. Yeah. yeah. So I should wear boots, shouldn't I? <laughs> so, so it's five... So, I mean, this is something I think people don't really understand, which is the, just the sheer logistics of managing animals up here. Oh, yeah. And there's, there's what, two of you on the farm? Mm. Well, we can get three or four. We need about five people when we gather because with, there's been less sheep on the, the fell tops now. They tend to be travelling a lot further. So our sheep are going into Scandal and Hartsup and Deepdal and Bracehead and whatever. Right. So it, you need more people to gather them. So that's one of the problems. So and are those people available? No, that's, that's the problem because there's not many young people anymore, is there? Being on to I think to be a, a Lake District Hill farmer, you nearly, nearly have to be born and bred. I, I know that's a horrible thing to say, but... You know how how sheep run, how you work the fells and whatever. It, so it, there's no young people about it at all that want to do it. They'd rather sit on a motorbike and yeah, that sort of thing. And we can just hear a motorbike in the, in the background, mm. can't we? Yeah, precisely. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, I think this is. I suppose we've 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 left Europe now and Brexit and all that kind of stuff, but um, we do seem to be having a labour labour shortage oh, yeah. across the board, don't we? Um, but, the, agriculture. but it's not just agriculture, it's Ambleside, it's like an old people's home, isn't it? They all come and buy up all the houses, there's no young people. Uh, so, so finding labour is difficult, um, and you're a tenant here as well, aren't you? Yeah. So you've got, what sort of security have you got here? Uh, I've got a three-generation tenancy, uh, so I've got the next generation as well. So I've got a son and daughter, and hopefully one of them might want to take over. But, say hopefully. Yeah, well, they're not that interested in the sheep or the cows side, but... We've just sort of, uh, my wife's persuaded me to do, make the barn into a wedding barn. So that's what we've been doing for the last three years. And it seems to be doing not too bad. We're getting more bookings. So hopefully one of the children will want to do that okay. and take the tenancy over. So, so I can stay see... here all my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a fantastic place to be, isn't it? Yeah. Do you see, I mean, in terms of farm incomes, everyone's talking about diversification and how... Like the supermarket control over, over, over the prices you're getting means you're, everything's mm. really bottom drawers mm. in terms of your incomes. So diversification is really critical to you, isn't it? Mm. Well, yeah, it's, and I think if you, if you don't diversify, you're not going to, well, you're not going to sort of grow, if you know what I mean. So you can stay on a farm and just keep going through, but if, 
what's the point of working all your life if you can't afford to buy a house or such a thing? To retire. Yeah, and, yeah. and you can work as hard as you want now. You still won't be able to buy a house in Ambleside. You probably have to move out of the area to buy it, that house or something like that. So I think we're probably going back to as it used to be, I don't know, in the 1950s, 60s, do you think? Where people worked on the farm and also had other jobs. Like there was mining and things like that, wasn't there? So... Well, historically, farming wasn't a full-time profession. No. It, was, it was something you did at home. It probably was how you fed yourself. Mm, yeah. And certainly in these rural communities, the mining communities, things like that, you'd have had animals at home. Um, and you'd have had somebody look down the mine during the day or in the yeah. forest or whatever. Oh, in the flake quarry or whatever, yeah. yeah. So, so my family came from auctioneers, so that's why I've got a lo- loud voice. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got three brothers in farming? Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's Jimmy at Hartsip, Sam at Glencoin, and Boo at High Orange. We all have silly names, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> and are they all, I mean, you know, since I've known you, your mindset has shifted, shall we say, a little bit more towards the trees and different grazing patterns. Are they in the same mindset or are they. Do you, yeah. have, do you have arguments about it? Uh, we, we ask each other what they think, yeah. I think Sam's wholeheartedly into the green and hairy cows and he has yeah. horses and such like uh, but I think that was a necessity really because he was struggling he, we have a hereditary thing our joints swell up a little bit and things like that so he's probably needing to cut his numbers down and it was a good way of him doing that uh, Jimmy's more of a traditionalist but he's with the National Trust he's cut his numbers right down to like 700 sheep and it's on a big acreage his heart's full and he's sort of t- taking it on board uh, Boo on the other hand might he likes to be a farmer, I think, so... And I'm sort of stuck in the middle. I don't know what to do. I'm a dinosaur. So, in a sense, your family is, is a bit of a... That's a, in a sense, it's a picture of how farming is, isn't it? You've got these different approaches mm. across the board. And I'm fascinated by this regenerative bit, this, this kind of thinking about numbers, thinking about how we change, bit in the middle, uh, which seems to be gaining some traction. I, I definitely is. And I think this, 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 this year... Especially with the single farm payment being reduced, and it's getting reduced every year. So we get like, I think it's 50% of this time, and then it's down, down to 40% and such like. If you've got a lot of borrowed money, you won't be able to pay off that loan, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So we're gonna, you're going to have to look at ways of cutting your costs. So if sheep and cattle aren't really making a huge amount of money, you have to go the environmental scheme. And it, it's not you pushing us into it. I think it's government policies probably, probably trying to make us go that way. And it's probably the best thing for the Lake District, isn't it? What could be nicer than seeing Herdwick sheep on the top of Nabscar or something like that? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think the, the I think this numbers game has been so warped by payments. Oh yeah. Because I think one one thing that's, that's struck me is if you can buy something, you will. As a farmer, yeah. So if you can have more stock, you will. Oh, you get bigger and bigger, yeah. There's a perception of, of making more money, isn't yeah. it? So I think the numbers probably have swelled too greatly. It, and what we need to do is get back to a point where it's much more in balance. But then we've still got to market that. We've still got to make money out of it. Yeah, that's the thing. If you've only got two or three hundred sheep, you're not going to make a huge amount of money, are you? Because no. out of those two hundred uh, or three hundred sheep, you have to have so many replacements coming in every year. So you can't sell all the lambs. So those two or three hundred sheep might have, say, three hundred lambs, but you have to keep sixty of those as replacements. So you're only selling like presumably two hundred and forty lambs. Two hundred and forty lambs at thirty pounds a piece 
does not add up to a big lot, does it? So is that what they're selling for? With the store lambs, store herdwick lambs and swale lambs, we're making £30 this year. Because they were a lot more than that last yeah. year, I think. So this is the other thing with yeah. farming, is it's, it's not a reliable... No, no, you're either thing. up or down. and At the moment, it's very doom and gloom. Um, but I think the whole country's like that because everyone's going on strike. <laughs> There's no point us going on strike because I don't think we'll get anywhere. Will we? so, well, things need feeding and... Yeah, but I think how many people come on holiday to the Lake District? It's millions and millions, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I know they like to go for a beer and sit in a restaurant and have a nice hotel and whatever, but most of the reason is they come to see the scenery, don't they? And that scenery, as you know, is man-made, isn't it? Yeah. So you need the likes of me or yourself to keep the, the landscape as it is, so people will still come. Would it be a very different place if we removed all the farming, wouldn't it? It would. And we're part of the community. Yeah. And that's why some of the communities are dying, because there's no farms anymore. We are, our nearest neighbour is Grasmere and Kirkston, which is miles and miles away. Mm. Well, there used to be just a farm up the way and another one at Hart Head there, so... We, you've been here all your life. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I love riding and whatever. I think you need young people. And as it is, you just see every house that gets developed. They come, they buy a lovely house, they get planning permission, and they make it twice the size. And what are they giving back to the late district? Not a lot, are they, really? So they're only so paid for weekends. not employing local people? No, it isn't, is it? There are, look, look, the builders and stuff would probably be doing very well, but... A lot of the local people, that, all, most of the lads that I went to school with, have had to move out of the area to buy a house. So they've gone as far away as Kendall or Lancaster or even further. So. Well, I've been up here 30 years and the people I used to know have done the same. They've all yeah. moved out of Keswick. Yeah. So you're an incomer as well, Ian. So I am an incomer. <laughs> yeah. I suppose the only thing I can say is I've been here half my life now. Yeah, so, so you're local then, aren't you? <laughs> I'm trying. Yeah. yeah. But, so there's all these pressures, isn't there? So farmers, farms have got bigger and there's probably all sorts of economic reasons for that. We've reduced farm numbers, we've reduced the numbers of people working on farms. Yeah. You're now a rare breed, you ought to get uh, a supplement. Yeah, precisely. <laughs> but that, that's probably caused the hassle load because there's less farms, so your hefted flock are going a lot further, and yeah. so you need more people to gather and this, that and the other, and there's not the people, you can't afford to pay the wages, can you? So it's very difficult. And that, those gathering days are, they're not many in the calendar. How many, how many days do you gather? And in fact, why do you gather? What's the gathering about? Oh, well, we gather the sheep for oh, a number of reasons. Um, one is at lambing time. We gather them in about fortnight before they start lambing. Uh, another one is when we clip the sheep in sort of end of July, sort of middle of July-ish time. And then basically we, we dip them or we, we actually give them cydectin now, which is a, a drug that kills sheep scab. And then they, we gather them in for the rams. So it's four or five times a year we gather them at big fells. But they're big gathers. Our, we go around to the top of Fairfield, and as you say, my knees are knackered because I used to do that. I'm on the bottom now, just going around the wall. But yeah. they, they're going so further because the sheep are going further because there's less sheep on other bits of fell. So a sheep will follow green grass. Yeah. So you might not be overgrazing your fell, but they're going further, if you know what I mean. So, part of your problem with you, like you green people, you haven't really <laughs> thought it out. You really should take a whole sort of big, the fells as whatever, and everyone goes in the schemes, and everyone cuts so the sheep will stay. So if you, had, if you if you had the same numbers as your neighbour, even if those numbers are smaller, then then things are in balance. That's what yeah, you, you need a balance. So. But you, know, I've been in meetings with farmers where. Um, 
if one says black, the other says white. Oh yeah, they never agree, do they? And we're talking about common grazing here, where, oh, yeah. where you've got, you have some real battles, don't you? Uh, we're lucky we're not common. We have a little bit of common on one bit, but that's, uh, yeah. yeah. We haven't got agreement with that one. <laughs> no, no. So, so and you, you sort of, you point the finger at the greenies and we haven't quite got it right. I don't think we have quite got it right, but I, but I think we're trying. Yeah, I think it's, it was a big learning curve. I think you've got, 10 years ago, when you got this money, and you didn't know where to start, did you? Because right. it's, so it's the first time you probably had given given that amount of money. So you, you you try different things, and you sort of know what's going to work now. So your experience now is fundamental to so any new agreements going on anywhere. You'll have a good idea what to do, and that's the same with farming. You make loads of mistakes when you're younger, and when you get older, well, you're still learning, obviously. But you, you you sort of know the ropes, if you know what I mean. So. And I think, I think we have learned a lot. I, I mean, the monitoring that we've done on two bank places like that has been critical now to sort of understanding what happens when you do do something. Mm. Um, at the same time, we've learned an awful lot about farming and farmers and, and we've made some friends with some farmers. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, 10, 15 years ago, it was always a bit <laughs> kind of homewise, wasn't yeah, it? So, get off my land, sort of thing. Exactly. <laughs> what are you not doing here? Mm. And I, I'm trying to understand both parties, I think. But then, equally, the people in the, in the room have got to want to understand both parties. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. In, and, and, and again, that depends on the characters involved, doesn't it? Yeah. It, um, it, you, yeah. It's difficult being a farmer because we have... Uh, there's a big... The, the river rolls in, well, the ride of Beck comes down our fell, and there's, like, big tubs where people go swimming and clapping again, aren't they? And we get loads of people going up there and they sort of just seem to think they can go where they want and do what they want and make yeah. a scrow. And it's, they need educating. You, you need to sort of, I don't know, educate these people before they come up or something. It's rights and responsibilities. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm definitely somebody that uses the contract a lot. Yeah. You'll see it as well, I never you? leave litter. Yeah. So you're one of the random ones. We, we have people that camp up there and they yeah. leave the tent and leave everything left behind. And so. once it's on your land, it's your property. Yeah. So... Yeah. We're constantly going up. Well, every time we come down, I usually come with a plastic bag full of something. So, which you then got to what put in the bin? Yeah, bin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I mean, I you know, I think access to the countryside is absolutely critical if people are going to understand farming and understand the countryside and want to and value it and want mm. to protect it. But at the same time, they need educated. Yeah. Massively. It's probably only like two or three percent of people, but it's the also that cause all the grief, isn't it? So. Mm. There's no, there's no right way or wrong way, really, is there? I need a warm moment. As you can tell, we have quite a lot of banter between us. We've edited out the swear words. There's quite a lot of toing and froing in that interview. Um, but what's been delightful is the two of us have worked together, and we've found a way of accommodating each other's interests. To hear Chris going out and planting trees with volunteers, enjoying the volunteers on his farm, that's, that's just been a, a real buzz for me because I think it shows that, that people need people. We need to work together. There's lots of common ground between us, and if we can share that common ground, I think we could probably do an awful lot more than we do at the moment. Today's interview brings to an end Series 2 of Triangle Podcast. 
I had no idea when I sat out on this project. I didn't know if I could interview people. I didn't know if people would want to talk to me. I just had this idea that I wanted to celebrate my 30 years in conservation. Recently, somebody asked me, how many interviews are you going to do, Pete? Because uh, you, we've obviously heard quite a few, but where are you going to stop or where does it go to? Um, I didn't have a plan. I didn't know if people were going to be interested in the series. It was just like, we need to do something. Let's see where we get to. So actually, I'm really chuffed and humbled by the feedback we've had. I had one person come up to me at a conference recently said that they'd taken one of my podcasts to their book club. I was, I was, I was floored. I, I didn't think people would be that interested. I'm hoping that we're going to do 30 interviews overall, 30 for my 30th year in conservation. Um, so in other words, what I'm saying is, <laughs> I'm hoping there's going to be a series three. So if you've enjoyed the series to date, fantastic. Thanks for listening. Um, there may well be series three cropping up before too long. So watch out for this space. And genuinely, thank you very much for listening. It's been a pleasure doing all this work and I hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you. You've been listening to the Tree Amble podcast, written and produced by myself, Pete Leeson. My special thanks go to Pete Ord for his awesome production and mixing skills. And actually, Pete and Pete, both of us, we wrote the music. So thanks very much to Pete for his input there. The recording was on location with mixing and production at the studio at Sunbeams, part of the Annie Mawson Sunbeams Music Trust. Thanks also to all those lovely people who were interviewed, Simon Wakefield for the artwork, and my special thanks go to those who gave me the confidence and support to make this happen. Angela, Anne, Catherine, Tim, Tim, Kevin, Emma, Nick and Paul, thank you.